Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Semi-Cinematic Podcast. My name is Hunter. My name is John. My name is Max. All right, we're changing things up a little bit this week. We're going to um, keep the Discoveries theme going, but we're only going to have one main review. And um, and we're going to have one main review moving forward. I'm hoping that'll keep us on a, a more consistent release schedule. Um, and this week we're going to be reviewing uh, one of Max's favorite first-time watches, which is Ace in the Hole, directed by Billy Wilder. But we, but before we get into that, let's talk about what we've been watching recently. And uh, and I'm also going to talk about a couple other uh, discoveries from last year. And are, are y'all going to do that too? I have a yeah. couple. Yeah, I got a few. Okay, okay, sweet. All right. Well, let's start with you, Max. Yeah, it's been well. Uh, you know, here we are in 2022, and I I had a bit of a mad dash to the end of the year last month um, to try and get 365 movies in, uh, which I did. I did accomplish. I don't know how much I should celebrate that, but uh, here we are. So there were um, all 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 pretty good movies. Um, a good amount of rewatches. I, I wanted to stay safe. Um, but in terms of ones that were really kind of standouts, uh, one was The Bandwagon. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, that's a Manelli musical with Fred Astaire and uh, Sid Charisse. I think like, I don't know. I, I think maybe, maybe that's just the new year and the new, the new mood. New, new year, new me kicking in um just really enjoying musicals and they uh, I, hunter i know you're a fan of these too um but there's something about like you know the stories aren't really too vanilla they aren't too you know fluffy some of them have pretty you know heavier subject matters um but just take i, I guess for me like taking a step back and like watching them and just thinking about like the skill that it takes to like you know, perform these dance moves like up and down staircases or um, you know over obstacles and and make it look effortless to the point that it's like I don't understand why this is difficult. Um, I don't know. That's just impressive to me. So that was that was the bandwagon. Um, the other one that I liked was um, how to steal a, how to steal a million. Uh, it was directed in 1966 by William Wyler, uh, starring Audrey Hepburn, uh, Peter O'Toole, Charles Boyer. Uh, she's Audrey Hepburn is the um, daughter of a of a, a forger, and um, they have to figure out how to you know to prevent him getting caught. Um, they have to you know figure out a way to steal uh, a forged statue that he's created and, and, and given to a museum. And that had been on a watch list for a while, and uh, TCM picked it up for about two weeks. So that was a good one. We, I know you and I, Hunter, we just saw the new Scream movie, uh, so I, I watched a few of those to kind of get caught back up. Yeah, so, you know, obviously, obviously the main review is Ace in the Hole. That was um, just one of the top two highlights for me for the year, but another... Close second, um, also starring Kirk Douglas, is Two Weeks in Another Town, uh, also directed by Vincente Minnelli, also starring Sid Charisse. So <laughs> there's a lot of connections there. Um, but I, yeah, that one, that one was a lot of. I, I enjoyed that one. Um, it's a really interesting story, and there's something about just the use of color and and. And these kind of dramas that, uh, again, you know, they're not, you know, puff pieces. They're they're interesting stories, and they they've got compelling character development. Um, but visually, they're just a lot of you know, they're just they're just a joy to take in. Um, so that was the that was the one, and that is streaming on Criterion still. I think it's in that Kirk Douglas uh, collection that they had going up. Um, so that was the one, and then the other one for me of note, um, noteworthy first-time watches was 2017's The Florida Project, uh, directed by Sean Baker, and I, I mean, the story of that one, 
was 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 super interesting. But I think too, like I mean, we're all in the Orlando area, and there's always just something kind of interesting about like watching a movie and seeing places uh, in the movie, like a giant wizard, you know, um, theme park discount merchandise store that you drive <laughs> yeah. you, that you drive by you know multiple times throughout your life and then it's just like oh that yep i know that um uh, and uh, it just kind of i guess there's like a, there's almost like a star bump just for that um <laughs> so any florida movie that's based in the orlando slash central florida area will at least be a one star um so filmmakers can can rest assured there that that uh they've got that they've got that bump but that is on a bunch of spots. That's on Canopy, Netflix, Hoopla. And yeah, if you haven't seen that one, definitely, definitely recommend that one. Nice. Yeah, that is a good one. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, I, lo- I actually like seeing Willem Dafoe play kind of a more ordinary person. Yeah. He, yeah, he was a surprise as kind of the hotel manager or motel manager, but also like the father figure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was a really great role for him. Yeah, he was awesome. All right, and John, uh, what have you been watching and what were some of your uh, other discoveries from last year? Well, I didn't make it to 365 for 2021 like Max did, but I did make it to 300, <laughs> which is still pretty good. I think it's uh, definitely uh, my best so far. So I've been trying... 2022 to get ahead for like 30 seconds i was thinking i could do two movies a day which is insane oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah but i've got like you know 19 in the first 17 days so i'm ahead of pace so far and no no shorts in there that does not count for those (laughs) who try that nonsense uh i'm also trying to watch a decent amount of 2021 movies so i can put together a top 10 because it feels wrong to put one together where there's still a bunch of films that could make it in that you haven't seen it's hard to see them all i know but i'm trying to make it as well-rounded as possible but um i also had a uh shutter trial for a week or two and i so i tried to watch a few films that were just streaming on there and the first one i'm going to talk about is from 2019 called bliss directed by joe bagos this movie is 80 minutes and it's really wild. Um, it's uh, it kind of reminds me of a Gaspar um, Gaspar No film. Is No? Is that how you say his last name? I think it's No Way. No Way. Yeah. Okay. Um, basically, it's about this um, artist who's uh, she has a project due soon and she's like lacking inspiration. So. Um, I think a lot of her inspiration comes from drug use and she wants something stronger than what she's been using. And she takes something and then from then on, it gets super wild um, situation where you have an unreliable narrator. You're not sure what's real and what's not. Um, It just feels like you're with her in this drug state the rest of the way. Um, It's really interesting uh, very colorful, dark, super dark, super dark. Um, I don't know. It's just like a really, it's intense. I mean, it's, it's 80 minutes, which is a short length, but the intensity of the 80 minutes is really ratcheted up. So um, you definitely feel pretty spent after watching it. I wouldn't say it's at all anything perfect, but it was really interesting. And uh there's like enough cool things going on that I could get through how dark some of it was. Uh, I definitely think it's worth a lot watch and it's very interesting. The filmmaker did another film the same year with some of the same cast. I'm interested to see if that one is as effective, but this one definitely didn't go in knowing anything about it. It was just like one of the more highly rated films on the shutter list that I hadn't seen. And I definitely enjoyed it. I know Hunter, you've seen it too, right? Oh, yeah, no. that's yeah. that's a good one. I, I I did enjoy that. It's uh, it earned its uh unrated rating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that the lead actress is has a very tough job, and I think she does a really good job. But mm-hmm. there's just some points where you can tell she's just trying to look crazy, or like 
zoned out or drugged out or whatever. And that's, that's hard to keep up for, I mean, she's on screen pretty much the whole time, but for the most yeah. part, she really goes for, it. I think she does a really good job, but it's just, it's not going to be convincing every second. I don't think anyone could really pull that off. It's just such a high intensity film. Um, okay. So I also watched this, the exorcist two, which is, uh, upon, I did not notice going in. All I knew was that it was pretty crazy from, uh, Hunter mentioned it. And I just knew, like I knew from somewhere else, like third, third party reference to it, but apparently it's one of the worst films of all time. And I really enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, directed by John Borman, who I really appreciate. I like the way his camera moves. Uh, there's just like some kind of, uh, I don't say intensity again, but there's an intensity to his camera movement. It just feels very visceral. Um, it's something, I don't know what it is. Uh, I've, I've seen like three or four of his films and they're the same energy in all of them. Um, people have problems with Richard Burton's performance in this. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's a good, I, I mean, obviously I don't think it's anywhere near the original Exorcist, but I think it's a good follow-up. I, I found it very interesting um, it's weird, but I don't think it's, I mean, clearly it's, it's probably bad if it's such an overwhelming opinion, but it wasn't bad to me. I thought it was interesting and, um, it goes to some wild places, but I thought the performances were pretty good and James Earl Jones is in this, but he's, he's barely in it and he's, he's under his character is pretty underused. Um, but I like the direction, um, I don't think you're ever going to be bored. That's for sure. Uh, some of the effects might be, well, are dated, but not, I've seen much more dated effects. There's an interesting thing where a lot of the movie you're following the, uh, demon. I'm not going to say, well, I'll say his name once. It's fine. It's not going to like summon him. Pazuzu. <laughs> and you're kind of following him around on this, um, locust on the back of a locust. And obviously it's the seventies, so it's not going to be super convincing, but I actually liked how it looked. So I might be too forgiving of the, of the late seventies aesthetic, but honestly, it's such a, it's such a, people have such strong reactions to this film. I'd recommend watching it. Everyone. I mean, it's a 2.0 on Letterboxd, which is some of the lowest I've ever seen for something with this much, um, like a pretty good cast and an uh, accomplished director. I'm interested to see what you guys think. I'm sure you'll be more closer to the main consensus than me, but maybe it's just in the right mood to watch it. I don't know. Uh, I rewatched. I, I need to oh, see this. I need you, to see this while it's on HBO Max. Still. You got to see it. I will it. watch it this month. You've got sure. 15 <laughs> days left. Yeah. I can do it. Um, I rewatched Rafifi which I hadn't seen in, I don't know, at least 10 years from 1955, the heist film. Uh, I always see it on the top of heist film lists and I remember liking it, but not being overwhelmed by it. And on rewatch, I was more impressed by it. Um, I'd only remembered one thing about it from watching it years ago. And that was the incredible use of an umbrella in the heist. But, um, Watching it again, just everything really worked for me, and I gave it a half-star bump from a four to a four and a half. Um, one of only two films, I believe. A rare, one of the rare films that won the Palme d'Or from an American director. Um, if you can find it, I believe it's on... Where did I find it? Oh, I found it. Actually, it's rarely streaming, but if you go to archive.org, there's a lot of old noir films on there that you can watch for free. Um, mm. So if you're if you're if you're looking for something and you don't want to, it wasn't even available to pay to to rent for Fifi. I couldn't even rent it like on Amazon Prime for five bucks or whatever. So oh weird, there's a yeah. Criterion Blu-ray of that. So that's surprising. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure what the deal. Is. I don't know what. Every once in a while, that happens with certain films where they're they're out on blu-ray or whatever but for some reason they're not able to stream at the current time i don't know what it is so that's a it's an older film 
um, you have that resource. And sometimes if it's a horror film you can't find and it's older, it'll just be on YouTube because no one knows about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then for my two other notable first watches of 2021, I have a classic horror film that I had never seen, and that's Diabolique from 1955, I believe. I think so. I'm not sure. Let me take this out. <laughs> uh, yeah, 1955. Um, I had started this film once, and it's it, it's kind of a slow burn at the beginning, and I kind of something happened, and I just didn't get back to it. But getting back to it this time, I refuse to talk about what happens later in the film because it's so interesting and. Um, it's one of those films, kind of like how uh, Hitchcock would say to the audience, for I think for Psycho, don't come in late because, or, or like at the end, don't tell what the twist is, stuff like that. This is a film like that. I think you just need to go in without too much research. And if you're patient through the slow burn of the first half, you'll be rewarded. Um, so this is, this is one of the, probably one of the better classic horror films I've ever seen and I love um, uh, Henry uh, what was it Henry Clouseau is that his how you say his name yeah yeah this film and The Wages of Fear are two of my favorites of all time The he just does a really good job of building suspense um, and keeping you interested uh, and he gets really good performances out of his um, actors so I was really impressed um my other is also a horror film. This is kind of a horror, horror 2021 for me and I guess for everyone based on other things going on in the world. But uh, one of my first Mario Bava's I've ever seen was the beautiful Blood and Black Lace from 1963, I believe. Um, you don't see a lot of horror films with such a vibrant color and I was so impressed by it. It's such a cool look. Um... One of my first Bavas ever. I've maybe had seen one or two others, and this really got me into watching more of his films. It's just like it's, if you just if you watch the opening credits um, on YouTube, you'll get a good feel for the colors used in this film. Um, super influential on later slashers and giallos. Uh, it's just a really fun, really fun time watching people get murdered that are very good looking. but it's just like i was really really impressed i mean those films like that that are that are fun to watch this one just like was so visually impressive as well um i don't even i just kind of stumbled upon it from a podcast talking about it and uh was really glad that i did and uh those are my recently watched and my two honorable mentions for 2021 first watches nice yeah i haven't seen um Wait, what, what was the Bava movie again? Blood and Black Lace. Blood and Black Lace. I haven't seen it in HD. I've only seen it on DVD a long time ago. Yeah, it mm. looks so good. Like, I was super impressed. Yeah, I need to rewatch that because I do, I do enjoy Bava. All right, so I've got a couple um, notable first-time watches from last year as well. Um, I think my favorite movie I watched last year was uh, Frontishek Vlachiels, I believe is how you say it. Excuse me? <laughs> Frontishek Vlachiels. <laughs> I believe is how you say the guy's name. Um, uh, Marketa Lazarova. And this is a Czechoslovakian film. Uh, and it's made during the Czech New Wave. But I'm not sure if it's considered to be a part of that movement or not. I know it was made by the studio that made Daisies and Loves of a Blonde and a few other kind oh, of major films of that okay. new wave. Yeah. But this is really different. Um, the tagline on Letterboxd is putting the dark back in the dark ages. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so you know this is right up my alley. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think the movie is like an amazing achievement. It's beautifully shot, has lots of striking imagery. It's another movie like Canal or Come and See, where you imagine the making of the movie must have been pretty grueling. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just got awesome imagery. It is long, but it never felt 
that long to me. Um, and I know hope is a pretty dangerous thing, <laughs> but I I hope the boy wonder Bobby Eggers took some inspiration from uh, this movie for his upcoming film, The Northman. This movie has to be an influence on him. I, I mean, mm. I'm I'm assuming he's a fan. Uh, but yeah, it's an amazing experience. Top three thousand material, and it's uh, streaming on the Criterion Channel. And then another discovery. This is a much lighter movie. Uh, I haven't talked about any kung fu movies on the podcast so far, but I, I really enjoy the genre. And this is the best kung fu movie I watched last year, and, and probably one of the best I've ever seen. It's called Seven Steps of Kung Fu. And it has just amazing fight choreography, and the actors are just incredible athletes. The, like The last 40 minutes of this movie is pretty much like back-to-back fight scenes. And they do just so many acrobatic moves, and the choreography is always interesting. And uh, it stars Rick, Ricky Chang. And, and he's also the star. Well, I don't know if he's the star. He's in Five Element Ninjas, and he's in The Mystery of Chess Boxing. And those are a couple classic kung fu movies. But uh, there's not a lot to say, really, about <laughs> the performances in these movies, but... They put on such an amazing show. I, I, I think just the entertainment value is so high. And I think I watched this on YouTube, and I think the, pro- the quality was pretty good. But I really hope someone remasters this at some point and puts it out on Blu-ray, because I think it's amazing. Yeah, it's on Tubi as well. Just so mm. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. And then um, for recently watched, I only want to talk about uh, one movie um, I rewatched. <laughs> Uh, Tenebrae, which John, you watched for the first time, right? I did. I really enjoyed it. I almost talked about it, but my I've watched so many since our last record. I had to pick something, but yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. One of my probably my favorite Argento now. Yeah, it's my favorite Argento. Um, and he was probably like a top five or top ten director for me for a long time. But then I rewatched some of his movies, I, probably three to five years ago, and they just didn't hold up for me. But last year, I rewatched eight of his movies, and um, my appreciation for him is for his direction is definitely back. I mean, I think his uh, his style is amazing, uh, and also I love the score for this movie. The score is so fun, and uh, the score is really fun. And his, yeah. yeah, and his kills are unbelievable. I mean, you really feel <laughs> the kills in, in his movies. They're just so impressively staged, and yeah, they're, they're really amazing. Now, one unfortunate thing, I have the Synapse Blu-ray, and it looks amazing, but it skips during the scene where the character named Jane is killed, and she's the one whose arm gets cut off and her oh, there's blood spraying all over the wall. That's my favorite part. <laughs> the arm is insane. It's a great, <laughs> it's a great, great scene. But on the Blu-ray, um, it just kind of skips through that scene, unfortunately. And I don't... Oh. It's weird. The disc looks fine. Like, it doesn't seem like... It looks like it should play normal, but for some reason, it just skips during that scene. Self-censorship. So, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I may never see that scene again, but I will rewatch Ten and Bray. <laughs> no, you it, need to. At least you need to. <laughs> every couple of years, but hopefully until, for the rest of my life, or as, or as long as I can take this sort of you know, violent content. <laughs> I'll, send, I'll send you that scene on its own later. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I need to see it. <laughs> Put on a separate disc, swap disc out halfway through the movie. It's on Shudder, and I still have Shudder for another month. Um, but when I just because I want to send it to you, just because when I watched this for the first time, I I went like, oh, whoa, <laughs> when the scene happened, <laughs> that specific scene. So it is, it's so wild. It is, uh, yeah, you know, for someone who's seen a lot of horror films, as you have, when we see stuff that surprises us, it's you know all the more significant because it gets yeah. rarer and rarer. Oh, and we have to talk about the dog. The dog is amazing. Seeing him prepare to jump over that fence 
is just the greatest thing. I love it so much. Max, the fence is so high, but this dog is undeterred. <laughs> hey, maybe it was like Air Bud's relative or something. It's the possible. spring, the spring on these legs. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's not even a, fu- it's like a spiky fence too, right? So it's like not, Yeah. it's kind of scary to watch, but the dog clears it. No problem. Or at least a dog clears it. I don't know what take that was. (laughs) Yeah, it's got to be on the list this year. Yeah, I'd like to be. I'm interested what to what you think of it, Max. Actually, I think have you have you watched any Argentos? I I have. I I um, I watched two: Suspiria and the Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Okay. I think that's it. Nice. Yeah, those are good ones. A lot of gloves. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, and anytime you see gloved hands, it's 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 going to be Dario Argento's hands. I like he that. does uh he does all of his own all of his own murders and uh, strangling. He no no other actor is good enough. <laughs> mm. His own his own glove work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's a glove he's a glove Dario. man. Yeah. His well, juices work to a... squeeze. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's that's all I got. So, um, so yeah, I guess we're ready to get into the main review, which is Ace in the Hole. And uh, as previously stated, this is uh, directed by Billy Wilder. And he has a co-screenwriting credit on this as well. And this is held in high regard now, but it was a failure both commercially and critically when it was released. And right before it was released, Paramount uh, changed the title to The Big Carnival. Really bad decision yeah. there. I, I think Ace in the Hole is the superior title. Mm-hmm. Much more clever. Uh, yeah. Just yeah. like, got the, I, love a, I love a good double meaning film title. And yeah, The Big Carnival. What, who, whose idea was that? Get out of uh, here. Some, par- some Paramount execs. <laughs> but yeah, Ace in the Hole. Now, I will say that for a movie that where a character says the title of the movie in the movie, this might be the most organic <laughs> um, natural use of the title through dialogue I've, I've ever seen in, in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it stars Kirk Douglas, and he's awesome in it. And he, he plays a reporter who can handle big news and little news, and if there's no news, he'll go out and bite a dog. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty good line. <laughs> um, and it was shot by Charles Lang, who also, uh, he shot Sabrina and Some Like It Hot as well, so he worked with Wilder a few times. Um, so yeah, what did you guys think? Uh, let's start with Max. Yeah, I had watched this... Um, I feel like we were, we were on a plane somewhere and then I, I started watching it and I was like, I don't know that I can, I want to like focus on this. Um, and I think like going into it pretty blind, um, just knowing that like, yeah, you know, again, I, I had seen some other Billy Wilder, Wilder films. I'd seen some Kirk Douglas films. Um, and I feel like it was in some article that uh, was clearly memorable and, and stuck with me. But uh, I just mentioned it, and, that, and that's what prompted me want to want to watch it. And, yeah, I I think anytime you have an older movie, because, uh, again, yeah, this was 1951, that, you know, you can watch in, you know, 2021, you know, 70 years later, and the story is still compelling, and, and, and what's happening is, is so interesting. Um, Hunter, you mentioned that it, you know, that it bombed and, and I, I was, you know, looking at some of the the reasons why, and what was interesting was some of the, some of the, 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 the um, critics were saying that like the story was too fantastical. Um, you know, that, that the, the concept of like, you know, one journalist, uh, spinning this, you know, this, this huge story just on their own, just, you know, simply couldn't happen. And I just, I, I don't know, I felt I could just kind of find that kind of funny um, these days in the era of, of news and, and our different sources and, and, and how we get it. But I, it just like, it's so well acted, um, you know, a, a tragic story, I think 
you know, as it, as it progresses and, and you kind of see the writing on the wall and, and understand what's going to happen. And there's little things that, you know, I, I notice on a second time watching. Um, I don't know if you know, if it, it, it's not subtle, but it's not, it's not talked about either, but like, I like the, um, every time the, the camera goes to the um, entrance sign, the, um, it goes from free, free entry, and then it keeps bumping up <laughs> yeah. by, by increments, um, as, you know, as the crowds grow and, and it, and it becomes, um, more of a spectacle and yeah, I don't know. I, I there, there's, it's just a, a, a nice story and not nice story, but, um, <laughs> it's a pretty, it's a pretty messed up story. Uh, nice in a, a compact way. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I, it just stuck with me. And so like, yeah, thinking back on like, what are the movies that like I most appreciated while watching this past year? Um, it was a, it was a clear, it was a clear pick. Nice. Nice. And John, uh, what, what did you think? Well, I've seen this before as well, and I did enjoy it uh, the first time. The only thing I remembered, I seem to remember, seem to remember like one thing from every movie I've watched from years and years ago. One thing sticks with me, and this it was uh, how he lights his cigarette with a typewriter in the beginning, Kirk Douglas. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. He just does lots of. I mean, all right. I guess he's kind of cool, but also a jerk. But I guess a lot of jerks are cool. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like it must have been like a really fun role for him to play. Um, the dialogue for everyone in this film is really, really good. Um, constantly entertaining. Uh, Kirk Douglas is great. Just even like the first impression you get of him as he's riding into town in his towed car, in the car, yeah. in the back of the tow truck. It's just like a perfect kind of setup for the kind of guy he is. Um, I have some good quotes that he has. He's a quote. He's like, um, good news is no news. <laughs> like how, you know, bad news is much more marketable. Um, mm-hmm. uh, when he's talking to, um, Leo, the guy who's trapped in the, in the mine or the mountain, his wife, and he says, when they bleached your hair, they must've bleached your brains too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I had that same note. It's such a subtle thing about that Max brought up with the admission going up as it gets more and more out of control, this uh, phenomena of this tragedy taking days and days. Um, Leo, the guy who's the victim of all this, is also very likable. Um, just a very mm-hmm. sincere, kind of pure-hearted guy. Um I mean, he gets frustrated that he's down there and, like, uh, you know, he wants to give up sometimes, but he seems like a really sweet man. Um, so you're definitely rooting for him, and it just makes what's happening to him become more and more uh, frustrating, I guess. Um, it's just, it's something about Kirk Douglas is just so good in this. Like, it's just so fun to watch him, even like. You kind of know once he once he starts drinking that it kind of locks things up that things aren't mm-hmm. going to turn out turn out great. Um, I also really enjoy, uh, you know, it's a Billy Wilder film, which is is pretty dark, but there's a lot of funny parts to it too. Um, his old boss in New York, the old his old paper he used to work for, how angry he gets talking to Kirk Douglas, um, especially when they're negotiating prices for the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think one party goes, don't you know there's a war on somewhere? <laughs> 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 He's just constantly enraged and I love it. It's really fun to watch. Um, yeah, I think this is really good. I, I, uh, I don't find it to be too hard to believe just based on the location of where the incident happens, this town that has, I think the sheriff says it has seven votes um, a situation like that, you basically have one authority, the sheriff, and you know whoever gets there first as a reporter can really manipulate the story, especially when they kind of befriend all the main characters that are involved in the situation. Um, so I found it pretty believable, and it's just... Um, I don't know 
how sensationalized the media was then. But like Max said, it definitely holds up and has a lot of validity to things going on now and how stories can get sensationalized and blown up and people react so quickly. I mean, I don't think stories can have a carnival parked next to it while while it's transpiring but just the way people react to something and kind of things kind of catch on and kind of get out of control very quickly um a lot of it still holds true today so i might even give it a little bit of a a quarter star bump from my original watch um it was a great rewatch and a great pick max nice it's got yeah yeah oh you're oh go ahead max I was gonna say like something I was thinking about too. Is like you know, I guess a more modern equivalent would be like Nightcrawler. Um, you know, again, that's you know another dark movie, but just how like there's this carry through of um, you know, you want to trust the news, you want you want you know what what you're reading and seeing, and and you know for, I think we all do for the most part, but um, it just introduces like interesting questions and, and, and thoughts. And I think that's, I think I expect that from a movie made in the two thousands. And so I think like anytime I'm watching something that was made, you know, again, you know, 70 years ago and is presenting, um, a pretty kind of bleak picture, um, of, you know, the media at the time, uh, it's, it's just compelling. Yeah, no, I, um, that's funny that they found it, like, too hard to swallow. I actually think, I mean, maybe it's actually more believable now than it was when it was released. I mean, the carnival aspect, it, yeah, that that might be a stretch, but mm-hmm. I think the right person, like, getting a hold of a story like this could could really, you know, milk it and you know take advantage of it and even if it means the subject of the story you know suffers because of it like i don't i that's very easy for me to believe mm-hmm. i think it was yeah the, the quote was yeah it was it's a ruthless and cynical study of corruption and mob psychology it's nothing more than a brazen uncalled for slap in the face of two respected american institutions democratic government and the free press <laughs> Although I, I guess if you think about who's writing these reviews, it's probably people that work for a newspaper. So, yeah, right, know. yeah, I don't know. Ooh. Shots fired, right? Sh- shots fired, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is I don't know. That's and I like I like that kind of stuff. I like you know you know stirring up this controversy and making people feel like uncomfortable. Um, Again, and in, in what in what I think we kind of lull ourselves into thinking was a more like pure, more innocent time, or you know whatever you want to call it. But um, yeah, and I Hunter, I mean, I am I did I did actually I didn't know about the name change, and yeah, the the big carnival would have been a tough one. Oh yeah, it's a joke. Like they have the poster, so that this was like a legit thing. Yeah, um, that's on their Wikipedia page with the with the original title. I love that there's um at the carnival. There's that band playing the song about Leo. That feels very real to me too. Like based on the time, like these songs would come up based on mm-hmm. things going on at the time. That that definitely mm-hmm. range felt true to me. Like that something like that would happen. Um, I guess they're just playing that one song over and over. <laughs> because <laughs> those people yeah. are there all day oh man funny funny but yeah it's it's a billy wilder is good at making some really dark things amusing it's an it's interesting uh combination like he talks about suicide yeah. in a lot of his films but they're also very, all very funny so mm-hmm. i appreciate that yeah and i um I, I really enjoyed uh, Ace in the Hole. Uh, this, I think this was my second time watching it. I love Kirk Douglas in general. Uh, I, mm. I think he's like one of the great actors from his from that era, and I think this is one of his best performances. And yeah, and John, the way he lights the match on the typewriter, typewriter is is so cool. And he actually, <laughs> he, in an interview that's on the Criterion Channel, he talks about that, and he said that whenever he 
made a movie, he would always try to bring ideas to the director for things that he could do that he thought would be interesting you know, for the character to do on screen. But he said that when Billy Wilder suggested using the typewriter to light the match, Kirk Douglas said he, he felt like he wouldn't make any more, he wouldn't make any suggestions to him because he couldn't outdo Wilder's ideas. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story. I like that. Yeah, small stuff like that sometimes like makes a difference for me between a pretty good movie and like a really good movie just those small little touches or like a a good character actor that has a great scene i don't know it, it makes a difference those little details yeah that's a great interview the one with kirk douglas on the criterion channel he um he was just a really smart actor and he speaks you know really eloquently about movies and about directors and he talks a lot about billy wilder and it's definitely worth checking out okay yeah, it sounds good. <clears throat> um, now, I did think, I think the rest of the cast is decent, but mm-hmm. Jan Sterling, you know, working with Kirk Douglas kind of makes her look bad. I can't mm-hmm. remember her, what, what is her character's name? She plays the wife of uh, Lorraine. Lorraine. Yeah. And like, I wouldn't say she's terrible, but I think what Douglas is doing looks so effortless but it but it's really amazing and it kind of reminds me of like watching paul dano work with daniel day lewis where i just felt like one person is just in a different class Mm. but that's really like my only criticism of the movie i love the setting and i love that you know the exteriors were shot on location and uh, I think they did shoot on the Paramount lot some, but I think it's only just interior sets that were shot you know, on the studio. Okay. Um, and I love claustrophobic settings like the cave. I do wonder about actors who have that kind of role where, you know, they literally don't move. <laughs> like, yeah. um, I, I, it seems like it's a curse, but maybe it's a blessing. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't like, know. Uh, I mean, it seems pretty uncomfortable. I mean, there's, you know, sand falling on him and, uh, but yeah, I would think they would limit like how many hours a day they would shoot him. Cause it's not like he's just stuck there for 12 hours. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know, you know, how they schedule that, but I did think he was very likable. Now, journalists, like newspaper men and women, I don't know why, they, but they are consistently compelling characters. And I always enjoy like the newsroom setting mm-hmm. in movies. And it works like in so many genres. Like, I mean, his girl Friday is like screwball comedy and all the president's men is a political thriller. And of course, Zodiac is like a procedural crime drama. Um, and this, you don't really get too much newsroom setting because they're kind of on location. Um, but this seems to be like the only negative portrayal of, of like a journalist or a newspaper man that I can think of. Did you guys think of any others? Uh, like from this era or just kind of... Or ever. Yeah, I can't think of it, of any others. Um, I mean, I guess there's like... Network, they go pretty crazy. Oh yeah, that's, well, that's true. pure satire. Yeah, I didn't really think about network, but that's yeah, I and mean, that's, I, I mean, again, and that one like, that one's pretty kind of off the wall. Yeah, um, but you know there are um, certainly elements of that 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 seem to be. What am I thinking of? I just watched it. I've oh, seen don't some. Look of, up. Oh yeah. Don't, I mean, I know that's pretty divisive right now, and you know, but I, and it's you know, obviously just came out a few weeks ago, but that was another one too, where like, it, you know, watching it and just like the combination of, of politics and social media and, um, you know, yeah, news, entertainment news versus you know, journalism news, which I think is an important distinction too, um, you know, opinion pieces versus actual journalism, uh, but that was a similar kind of kind of dig at you know manipulating the release of information based off of how it'll benefit you. Um, 
which I think, you know, that, that is like, and that's the other, I guess, side of the coin is like not just, you know, falsifying it, you know, falsifying some information, but controlling the flow of information, uh, to when it best, you know, suits your needs. I think, yeah. like, I, I don't know, I don't know which ones, I mean, I guess lying is, it's obviously worse, but, um, if you know something, you know, what, what is your duty and, and, and when is the time to like let people know that, um, I think that's, you know, another thing too that kind of comes into play nice in the whole. Um, if, you know, <laughs> obviously he knows that there's a much quicker way to get him out of there. Um, but yeah, I don't, Connor, what, you, what you're asking, I'm, I'm trying to think. I, oh, not much um, to mind. Sweet Smell of Success. Oh yeah, I haven't uh, seen that in a long time. And that's, but he's more like, like, like gossip. Like, like Calmness, yeah, but. which I guess in LA Confidential, um, you know, you kind of get into that realm of yeah, like celebrity gossip and 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 you know political gossip. That's true. It's on the edge, like it's it's media, but not necessarily journalism. Mm-hmm. So. But definitely Nightcrawler. That's that's a great example of the modern. Yeah, Nightcrawler. Like this definitely reminded me of Nightcrawler, which is that Nightcrawler is so awesome. I, I yeah, love that movie. Me too. Yeah. Um, now the last thing I want to touch on. Now uh, I think on the Criterion Channel, uh, there's a clip of Spike Lee talking about the movie, and and he talks about how this movie is about a guy who's chasing the american dream and Mm. where do you guys land on the american dream like it it portrayed in movies that that whenever i hear something is about the american like a character chasing the american dream or whatever i i lose interest in whatever (laughs) it is immediately i'm so sick of people saying that a movie's about the american dream are, are you guys on the same page? I, I hope you are. I'd have to listen to what he like what he says, but it's such a vague concept. If you're not going to explain like what it is you mean, um, I think it's within, just that Douglas's character will do whatever it takes to succeed. I think that like succeed, I, I guess like achieving a great deal of success is probably like his version of what he's thinking the American dream is. Hmm. See, to me, the American dream is more like immigrants coming to a country and they're poor and they're able to start a business and just live comfortably, as opposed to Kirk Douglas, who's trying to hit this huge story and become world famous and Mm -hmm. rich off of it. I don't know. But I mean, everyone's American dream, whatever quote is, you know, there's different, there's different ambitions. Um, When you mentioned hating the American dream, all I could think of was... uh, unrelated but halloween where they say uh, evil dies tonight <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the american dream dies tonight and i feel yeah, like yeah it's a theme that i think a lot of critics and kind of uh people who write about movies from a more kind of academic point of view like to talk about um, and there are like in a in a comedy, it's a little easier to swallow. I mean, like I, I would think the Wolf of Wall Street is a comedy version of people who are like living the American dream, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and even Spring Breakers, which the biggest flaw in Spring Breakers <laughs> is that they overstate the theme. I mean, they say like this is the American dream, probably like <laughs> nine times in the movie. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah, it's obviously yeah. like it. I think it's a joke. I mean, obviously, it's a joke to the director, but, um, but uh, but yeah, I don't mind greed <laughs> as a yeah you know, as like a characteristic, and like like in something like Treasure of the Sierra Madre, I think that's different than a movie about the American dream. But if I hear Spike Lee. Any other director, historian, or friend say that a movie's about the American dream, I, I'm going to check out. I, yeah. I, I, I'm done. <laughs> I feel like, you know, any movie that's trying to say anything that's, if it, ha- if it has a message, the more it 
specifically states the message, the, the less effective the message is. It just becomes mm-hmm. preachy yeah. at some point, and it really takes takes you out of buying in. I think at that point, it just feels mm-hmm. like like a visual propaganda. But um, mm, I don't yeah. think this happens a lot. But when it does, like there'll be like one. This is a film we're going to talk about soon. But whatever in this film that I watched recently, they mentioned one thing just one too many times, and it's just like, okay, I get it, I get it. Mm. let's just not bring it up again. So I, I definitely see how that can happen. It's, it's a fine line because, uh, you know, I feel like some people in order to like for a message movie, if you want to get a point across, some people will need more nudging than others. It's a, it's kind of finding that balance where you're not annoying the people who get it already, but you're still getting through to people who might need more obvious references. I don't know. It's like Nicole yeah. Kidman trying to convince you to go to AMC theaters. Or you in the theater? <laughs> yeah. That's a very good point. I don't even think about it. It's already being in the theater. Yeah, yeah. Like, why is uh, this should be on TV, not in the movie theater? Right. Or my movie. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Nicole that, Kidman. No, that that. Yeah. Listen, it's a thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> but no, that's all I really have on. The uh, the movie I did I did really enjoy it. Did you guys have anything else to add? Um, I don't uh, think so. The, watch the, it the, as soon as you can. The sheriff the sheriff feeding the rattlesnakes pretty interesting. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a small thing, but that was an enjoyable little subplot. Kind of like ratchets up his sliminess. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think. While I agree that, um, you know, Kirk Douglas definitely outshines Jan Sterling, I think she's in a tough spot as to where her character is. She's got a husband she doesn't love who's, you know, could be dying, but it also could be her chance to get out of that situation that she's in in that marriage that she doesn't want to be in. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of, and that, but then she's making all this money there's a lot of things going on for her character at the same time. And who knows how someone would react to all of that. So I can see Kirk Douglas's character is more straightforward. It's this very clever, ambitious reporter guy where she has a lot more mixed emotions going on. So I think it's a harder role to play. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and I do think like acting alongside Kirk Douglas was probably... It might have been difficult for anybody, like in the late 40s and early 50s, because there were tough guys, but I feel like he's just so much more intense than any other actor like before him. Yeah, so, that's a good point, too. He has this, this level of energy that's like, yeah, you don't see, like you just said, intensity. Like it's, it's definitely not a lot of that before. It's much more casual or funny, but not just like so focused yeah he's Mm -hmm. he really set set the bar to another level yeah yeah the only one that really matched him was you know barbara stanwick (laughs) 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 i'm just i don't know i'm kidding but i also like porter i like porter hall a lot his um very conservative yes he's great i think he's just really good on screen. I, I've seen him in a couple movies lately. I just I like him when he's at, when he's on there, and it's a good counterpoint to Kirk Douglas's character. And I like how um, Kirk Douglas makes this joke to Porter Hall about how Porter Hall is so conservative. He wears a belt and suspenders, and then when you see Kirk Douglas later on, and he's stuck in Albuquerque for a year, he's wearing a belt and suspenders until the the story breaks. Uh, that gets him back to his old old ways so it's a nice little touch there you know like something subtle yeah and i and this is i mean not to keep giving spike lee airtime but (laughs) like to your point john like yeah like porter hall's character to me is someone more like trying to like live the american dream of like he's not interested in like you know grandiose success but like you know running a successful newsroom for you know this small town that he lives in and you know, not you know, when there's things that you know come to, you know to cross the line, um, you know, keeping a firm 
you know, line in the sand of like, no, like, I, you know, this is, this is not worth it to me. And I, I don't know. I, like Kirk Douglas character more so just being, you know, a cautionary tale of when you overstep and when you, you know, don't just cross like professional lines, but you know, human lines uh, where you, you essentially, you know, you, you know, I think it's fair to say he causes um, Leo's death. You know, I, I, you know, he, if yeah. he were to, you know, make it through the movie that he could be held responsible and, and tried um, for this, you know, for this man's death. And I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm curious to like listen to that interview now um, just to kind of hear more of what Spike Lee's got to say. But I know Spike Lee also, you know, it's not like he's super interested in just saying mundane things. So no. Who, and, who, and you know what we do need to say, or at least I need to say, I, I love Spike Lee. Right. I have to say that. I, I, I think he's a great director. And I actually, he's someone who, his lack of subtlety is one of his strengths. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, you know what his movies are about. Like, he is, he's very in your face, but I think that's actually one of his, his strengths. But yeah. Yeah. But just don't talk about the American dream, Spike. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's let's rate this uh, tamale. <laughs> oh, those do sound good, don't they? <laughs> All right, Max. What what are you going to give this? Well, it was a very uncontroversial uh, five star for me. So excellent. John? Originally a 4, now a 4.25. Nice. Nice. And I'm, you know what? I, th- I think I'm going to go 4.5. I, I, do, I do really, really like this movie. And I would, I would rewatch it and just have a blast. Yeah. Not too shabby. Right. Not too shabby at all. No? No. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to... Uh, to Max's stand pick of the week, did did you have one ready? I once I find my notes, I do. Um, the stand pick of the week is Crime of Passion, and I believe it's streaming on oh on a lot of places: Prime, Criterion, Hoopla. Um, Nineteen fifty six, Crime of Passion, The Sin, The Lie, The Crime of Passion. Um, Barbara Stanwyck plays Kathy, and she is starring alongside Sterling Hayden. Oh, who, Sterling! Uh, yes, love. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Raymond Burr, Faye Ray. It's a it's a solid cast. Um, it's not one of her you know best movies. I think I gave it a yeah. Ooh, I gave it a three. So, uh, it's, it, it's kind of run of the mill, but it's, 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 it's nice. 83, 83 minutes. So I like that. <laughs> yeah. Anything in the double digits is, is, you know, prime, prime time, but it's a fun one. And yeah, that's a crime of passion. Excellent. Excellent. And, uh, and John, do you have a dream stream? I do have a dream stream. It's um, from 1981, so right in the heart of my favorite era. Directed by Michael Mann. It is Thief, starring James Caan. Um, the tagline is, Tonight, his take-home pay is $410,000, tax-free. Frank is an expert professional safecracker. This is not the tagline, this is the synopsis. <laughs> Specialized Specializing in high-profile diamond heists, he plans to use his ill-gotten income to retire from crime and build a nice life for himself, a.k.a. the American dream, complete with a home, wife, and kids. To accelerate the process, he signs on with a top gangster for a big score. Um, Really good uh, heist film. Michael Mann and some of his best stuffs in the the 80s. Um, Tangerine Dream score, which I really enjoy. Uh, it's free to watch on both Tubi and Pluto, and it's also on Hoopla if you've got a library card. Um, really solid crime drama situation. Really enjoy it. 
Nice. Yeah, that is a good one. I, I've mm. not seen that in a, a very long time. Um, Looks great also. Just one of, It's like a really satisfying visual experience. Oh, yeah. Hunter, do yeah. you have a, do you have a, uh, uh, gosh, what do we call it now? The, uh, a, a bleak of the week. Bleak of the week. Yes. Bleak. I do have a bleak of the week. <laughs> I did want to say along the lines of the Tangerine Dream score. Um, John, you said you liked Wages of Fear, right? Yes. Have yeah, you seen, love. um, Friedkin's remake, Sorcerer? I have been wanting to watch that and I can, it's hard for me to find it. But yes, I really want to oh, watch okay. it. So I have not seen it, but it's probably in the top 10 uh, things I want to watch. Also, another one that I've been wanting to watch, it's really hard to find, is um, Sleuth with Michael Caine. Oh, yeah, I've never seen that. But I finally found it the other day, so I'm going to try and watch that for uh, next week for our recently watched. Nice. Yeah, um, Sorcerer is awesome. But I think it's Tangerine Dream's first score. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's really cool. But yeah, Sorcerer is amazing. I, I love Wages of Fear also. Oh, so intense. But, um, so intense. Yeah, but uh, my Bleak of the Week is a movie I did rewatch recently. It's called The Candy Snatchers. <laughs> These titles. It's from, <laughs> it's from 1973, which is just a great... The early 70s, these low-budget American like grindhouse movies are just... They're not always great but they're always interesting to watch there's always something that about the experience that i enjoy um but this one it's about a 16 year old girl named candy who is kidnapped by three unsavory characters and held for ransom and the girls uh the people who kidnap uh candy they kidnap her because her father is runs a jewelry store and they think they can get a lot of money out of him oh but now this is a spoiler. You guys are never going to watch the Candy Snatchers, are you? I'm going to watch it. Mm. I'm going to. Oh, you are. <laughs> I'll hold my ears for a second. Uh, how, how long do I need? Okay. To, how long do I need to hold my ears for? Um. Ooh. Let's do. A, a, maybe ninety seconds. All right. I'll be back in ninety seconds. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So, the twist is that the the dad is actually the stepdad. Candy's real dad is dead and in her dad's will Candy would receive a great deal of money when she turns 21 but if anything happens to Candy before then the money goes to the stepdad and Candy's mom Mm. and so when when the stepdad finds out Candy's been kidnapped he's hoping the kidnappers will kill Candy (laughs) nice and Candy's mom is an alcoholic, and the stepdad keeps her on the bottle as often as he can. Mm-hmm. It allows him to cheat on his wife, and it also makes it easier easy for him to tell her believable stories about Candy's whereabouts, and she never questions them, and she's too drunk to know or find out the truth. Mm-hmm. And uh, Candy, she's buried in the ground... And, and but she there is like a kind of a breathing tube so that she can breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, and at one point, a mute child finds her and is unable to help her. And he can't communicate to his parents that he's found this girl. Like he can't write either. Mm. And 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 I mean, nothing good. Nothing good happens to anyone in this movie, which is essential for a bleak of the week. Mm-hmm. But there is a moment where the audience can kind of applaud the mute child. He has this terrible kind of abusive mother. And in the end, he just blows her away (laughs) and you couldn't be happier for this poor kid because she was just the worst. Um, Yeah. It's, it's bleak. That's the, that's the key. I'm back. All right. Perfect timing. You missed, you missed everything. I heard um, these I heard the vibrations of your voice and then like maybe abusive mother, but that's it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you say, did you say that? Abusive mother? I did. Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> um I did watch this is a, a vinegar syndrome release. The uh and the Blu-ray looks looks amazing. 
I gotta check Sweet. it out. I not hold my ears for yeah. nothing. I gotta, I gotta yeah, <laughs> kind of see what <laughs> I missed. It's a good one. It's a good one. Um, all right, and that brings us uh, to uh, the end now, or yeah, closer to the end, anyways. All right, and John, where can we be found on social media? Well, uh, on Instagram, you can find us at semi underscore cinematic. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash semi-cinematicpod, all one word. On Letterboxd, we're um, semi-cinematic, all one word. And uh, our email, in case you hate any of our picks, is semi-cinematicpod at gmail.com. And if you've got any uh, 8x10s of Barbara Stanwyck, ask for our mailing address. All right. Well, um, that brings us to a preview of uh, next week's show, which you will hear now. You may be hearing a lot of things about me and your uncle. Whatever I hear, I won't believe. No, you believe it. I did all of it. Those banks loaned the least they could so they could swipe your mama's land. It's a big bank. It's too big. That's what she said. They took everything from your family. This is your chance to take it back. On the ground! Paying them back with their own money. Well, if that ain't Texan, I don't know what is. You hear about these bank robberies? I may have one hunt left in me. It's a good thing it does. More down it. Every step of the way. They know exactly what they're doing. They're trying to raise a certain amount, that's my guess. I think I got these boys figured. He's got no record. He's never been arrested. He don't fit the bill, Marcus. Woo! You want to get us killed? That's not part of the plan. You gotta be smart. We're ways from being finished. We're gonna need SWAT up here. Get back! These boys, they aren't done yet. Uh, Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk next week. Damn right we will. See you then. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Bye.